Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to Wizarding World Lorecast, where we're going to take a deep dive into the world and lore of the Harry Potter universe, such as the creatures, the people, and yes, even the magic. Welcome everyone back to another episode of Wizarding World Lorecast, where we take a deep dive in all things into the lore of the Harry Potter universe. I am one of your hosts, Ben of Tamaria. And I'm Captain Chenko. Yeah, and last week we went over the history of magic. This week we are going to go over specifically the spell nature of magic. So, it's exciting going deep and diving into like a little bit of spell magic. Absolutely. I'm definitely interested to hear about all the different types of spells that can be cast. So, Right. And there's a lot of different types found out. I there's a there's a lot more in the books than we do see in the films. Because in the films, you're going to see mostly charms or the like the dark arts. We do see uh, divination a little bit. Um, in Prisoner of Azkaban, or yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix. But yeah, let, let's get right into it. So, spell casting. Spells were the very uh, purpose tools of Witch and Wizards. Short bursts of magics used to accomplish single specialized tasks such as opening locks or creating fire. Spells were divided into uh, rough categories such as charms, curses, hexes, or jinxes. So, for an example, charms are basically like Lumos, like it's the lighting charm. Curses is, it's kind of obvious, the three unforgivable curses. Killing curse, the torture curse, you know. Uh, hexes, um, I don't know if we ever see a hex in the films. Not that I think about it. We see jinxes, but I don't think we've ever seen a hex. Not entirely sure. I know jinxes... Is like uh, when Quirrell uh, tries to knock Harry off his broom in uh, Sorcerer's Stone. That's a jinx. He's jinxing the broom to knock him off. Uh, typically, casting requires incantation, most often in a modified form of Latin and gesturing the wand in the case of, hum- uh, of humans. So we do see different creatures and people use magic. Humans are the only ones that specifically have to require a wand. In most cases, not all the time, in most cases, and some sort of gesture with the wand, whereas magical creatures don't need to do jack squat because their whole 
physiologic uh, f- they're physically and created specifically with magic I remember reading somewhere too that performing magic without a wand for a human is super difficult and super impressive and you typically only see very intelligent witches or wizards able to perform um, wandless magic with any form of uh, adeptness. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when uh, I think Hermione, we get a couple of scenes where she'll do some uh, magic without her wand. Um, I forget which movie it was, but it was during the Quidditch match um, when she was trying to, I, I, she saw Snape like whispering. Oh, she used her wand. And she scene. used her wand. In that yeah. One? She used a uh, incendio on Snape's, um, or not, it was, sorry, it wasn't Incendio, it was Finite and Cantardum. Um, she used her wand for that. Now, Dumbledore, we do see him use, won't use his wand quite a bit. <laughs> like when Harry falls off his broom in Prisoner of, uh, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and during the Quidditch match when he got attacked by Dementors, um, Dumbledore did not use his wand to catch him. You just see his hand raised up and then uh, had him stop in midair. But as far as I know, if I recall, because I just recently rewatched all the films, uh, the main cast, Hermione, Ron, and Harry, always use their wands for all their stuff because they're not the ability of casting magic without a wand. I th- so far that I remember. Dumbledore and Voldemort are the very few in the films that we see that don't require a wand. I just uh, I just looked it up for Hermione. It said um, she performs wandless magic in Half Blood Prince. She oh, performs okay. um, Confundus by whispering into her hand. Okay, so it's later in the films. Mm-hmm. But. And she performs a jinx oh. at, at another point, too, without a wand. That's cool. Hermione's cool. <laughs> Hermione is cool. Uh, so, how, uh, so with that, um, these seem to be aids um, of the will only. So wands were merely focused on person magic, so humans. Um, it was... Evidently, also possible to use a wand without holding it. Harry himself performed Lumos to light his wand when it was lying on the ground somewhere near him. Additionally, Animagi and Metamorphagi uh, did not do not need wands to go, undergo their transformations. So, Animagi, meaning an Animagus, so like Sirius Black, he doesn't need a wand to transform into a dog. He can use it. He can do that at will. And um. Everybody else wants to know uh, Harry's father, and um, well, we see Wormtail obviously, but Harry Pod, uh, Harry's father was also an anime guy. Uh, you find out in I think the book Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, since it's um, Harry's father, Wormtail, Sirius, and Lupin created the Marauders map. Uh, they're under their like. Like author names, like Sirius is known by Padfoot. Uh, Prongs is Harry's father, and he could transform into a stag. So Harry's Patronus is what 
Harry's father could turn him into. So a wand's also focused to use uh, to such a specific degree that the vast majority of witch witches and wizards were often powerless without one. However, one could do magic without a wand, though it's uh, often unfocused and uncontrolled. And not all. Like we were just saying, Dumbledore and mm -hmm. Voldemort specifically can easily use wandless magic in a very focused manner. Uh, still, a few wizards could perform direct magic without a wand uh, if they had enough skill or power, but it was still difficult for, and tiring. A wizard or witch was at their best when they're using their own wand. When using another's, one's spells were not control, uh, were not as strong as they normally would be, as dedicated by the laws of wand lore. So, we do see this quite a bit in the Deathly Hollow films, both of them. Where they're constantly, Harry's constantly getting using a different uh, wand completely through those uh, through both of those films, to where one wand he used off of a snatcher, he was pointing a fire and cast uh, oh um, Ingrosio to grow the fire, and it like became a flamethrower. To where it was like, okay, yeah, that's not good, and then uh, reduced it. But yeah, it shows that you specifically would need to use your own specific wand. Because the wand picks the witch or the wizard. Correct. And now we and we do see, and we'll go into wand lore at some point in the near future, but you do find out that wands that one wizard had could side to another wizard. Or which, in which we do see that with Harry, he disarmed Malfoy, took his wand. His wand, uh, Malfoy's wand, chose Harry instead of Malfoy because of what he was trying to do. So, uh, spells could be cast non-verbally, but again, most are still required a wand for this. The technique was taught in the sixth year of study at Hogwarts and required the caster to concentrate on the incantation. So... As Shanko just said earlier, Hermione performs over this or a uh, wandless spell in Half Blood Prince, which is their sixth year. Makes perfect sense now. Uh, while most magic required the caster to use their voice, such as uh, Levy Corpus did not, uh, some such as Levy Corpus did not, which were apparently designed to be used non verbally, this might depend on the witch or wizard. And then some very skilled and powerful wizards and witches could use magic both wandlessly and wordlessly. Dumbledore has been known to do impressive feats on the magic without speaking, such as a conjuring enough uh, squashy purple sleeping bags to accommodate the entire student population, or his attacks during the final duel against with Voldemort in the atrium. Which we see that fight in um, Order of the Phoenix. When they're in the atrium of uh, the Ministry of Magic. Neither Voldemort nor Dumbledore were using, like, do using incantations. They are just waving their wands and, like, literally duking it out. Probably one of the best fight scenes we see in Harry Potter. <clears throat> uh, so now we get to the limitations. So, while it's possible to conjure things out of nothing and duplicate items, it is far more tricky to create something that can fit to an exact specification rather than a general one. 
Moreover, a magically inanimated object could never be real as the genuine one, with duplicated food being less fu uh, fulfilling than the real thing, and contra creatures only demonstrating service level behavior. So that's interesting. So all the food that they conjure up during the feast, the reason why people eat so much is because the food's not, not as fulfilling. It's not uh, taking up all the space that normal food would. That makes sense why they eat so much food during those feasts. Yeah, so magic's not meant to make a perfect recreation of something. It's mm -hmm. better to go with the the broad generalization rather than you know, say, I need a cup rather than I want specifically Shenko's cauldron cup. <laughs> By the way, I am looking. I'm probably going to see if I can find one of those and buy one. <laughs> uh, Walmart. Walmart? What? Oh, no, Walmart. Don't do this to me. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so, back on track. Furthermore, magically enabled uh, objects tend to not be as resistant to deterioration as natural ones being prone to breaking, cracking, melting, rusting, and other forms of breakdown, which does make sense. Uh, they're not as strong as the real thing, such as, like, so if you create a plate, one tap could break the entire plate, whereas if you actually go get a legitimate plate you have to smash it on the ground for it to break kind of like that that's a good example at least uh it is almost impossible to make oneself truly immortal only to extend one's lifespan using the powerful magic means such as the philosopher's stone creating at least one horcrux was said to grant the person mortality as part of their soul was earthbound, however, it was considered the vilest of acts, which we do see that Voldemort does. And we see both of these things, actually. The Philosopher's Stone is um, obviously the first film. We see the actual Philosopher's Stone. Now, if you actually go and watch um, Crimes Against Grindelwald, the second Fantastic Beast films, you do we do actually meet Nicholas Fumel, who the creator of the Philosopher's Stone, who is who helped with uh Dumbledore with the twelve uses of dragon's blood. Uh you actually see him and yet yes, he's like well over six hundred years old in the film. He's also a decrepit old man, where every bone of his body, him moving, just breaks or cracks or something. Which we do see in the film. So like yes, you can make your lifespan almost infinite, but your body can only do so much. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> you lose half every time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we see what happens to someone who uses a Horcrux. They stop, become, they stop being human entirely. Like Voldemort, he's not even human anymore at that point. Mm -hmm. Just just look at him for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> He's not human. Immortality at the cost of your nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, becoming a ghost was another option for wizards and witches, but it is said that this was a pale imitation of life. Whether or not they were truly sentient beings or independent existences is unclear. As Silver Snake stated that the ghost was merely the imprint of a departed soul left upon the earth. And quite honestly, I don't think I would want to be a ghost. 
you get to see all these things, like all the ghosts of Hogwarts. See all these kids year after year, eating, sleeping, having fun, and you can't join in. You just float around and do whatever you needed, what you want to do, but you you can't eat, you can't... It, I don't know. To me, I wouldn't want to do that. No, I think when I'm done with life, I'm done with life. I'd right. rather be checked out than keep watching time go on. <laughs> right. I, I feel like that would be more torture then it I can't would be participate. A... Right. <laughs> I can't participate in the passing of time. I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. So likewise, it was impossible to resurrect the dead. While corpses could be transformed into obedient and fury uh, on a living wizard's command, they were little more than zombies with no soul or the will of their own. It was also possible via the rare Patori incartatum effect to converse with ghosts like shadows or of magically murdered people. So we do see that, specifically with Harry and Voldemort when their wands connect in Goblet of Fire. All the recent kills of Voldemort come out of his wand, and then including Harry's parents, who have been dead for 14 years. 15 years. 14, 15 years. 14. Something like that. <laughs> 14 yeah because he's 14 in goblet of fire mm -hmm. um because he was technically too young to compete in the triwizard tournament yes and i remember his interview rita skeeter she kept saying he was 12 he was he kept correcting her saying i'm 14 <laughs> um and then the resurrection stone allowed one to talk to the dead but those brought back by the stone were not co co corporeal nor did they wish to be disturbed from their peaceful rest. The result of such summoning was usually de uh, detrimental to the summoner. Meaning the summoner basically has a mental breakdown. Which you see if you know the tales of the three brothers of the Deathly Hollows. The second brother who wanted the resurrection stone to bring back his loved one committed suicide and this got super dark um because uh of her coming back in a ghostly manner but she did not want to be there broke him down the only exception was harry but he only had the stone for like five minutes and then dropped it so Fun times. That is one rock you should not pick up. <laughs> no. And now we go to the principal ex exceptions to Gomp's law of elemental transfiguration. That was a mouthful, I know. So the principal exceptions of Gomp's law of elemental uh, transfiguration were the first mentioned and explained by Hermione in 1997 and again mentioned offhandedly by Ronald Weasley in 1998. Food was one of these. Witcher wizards could cook and prepare food using magic but not create it from nothing. Out of the five exceptions, only food was mentioned explicitly, although speculation had proposed many other possibilities. So you can't create food out of nothing. You have to use something. So if anything, yes, the so feast magic does it does obey the laws of physics. <laughs> yes, 
yes, magic obeys laws of physics, which is interesting. Like it's not like a there's no, there's no shortcut. There is shortcuts yes. and there isn't shortcuts. It's like yes, you can do it, but it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to have a a source. Right. It still has to have. You have to turn atoms into atoms. You're just changing what those atoms are. Correct. Yep. So there's a strong possibility that money was another exception, since if wizards could simply materialize money out of thin air, the economic system they was in the world would be seriously distributed. So, <laughs> and while the you don't say <laughs> right, and while the philosopher's stone did not permit alchemy, including presumably turning base metals into gold the stone was extremely rare even unique object whose owner did not exploit its power so yes nicholas from created the sorcerer stone the only thing he used it for was the elixir of life to keep himself alive he did not use it for gold or riches and he was the only one to have a sorcerer stone he never there was no one else in the history that we know of that successfully created a, uh, a philosopher's stone. Hmm. Which is good. I guess. Uh, so there were numerous examples of food appearing to be conjured from nothing, such as the sudden sudden materialization of ingredients in the pots of Molly Weezy's kitchen, Ollivander creating a fountain of wine from the end of Harry's wand, and when Professor McGonagall created a self-refilling plate of sandwiches for Harry and Ron one of those right that sounds awesome in all these cases these events could be reasonably explained as food either being uh multiplied which is allowed under grump's law according to hermione or transported from elsewhere one example of the was the banqueting in hogwarts the food was prepared by house elves in the kitchens and laid onto four replica tables uh, directly below the actual house tables in the great hall the food was magically transported to tables oh okay so that's how it is but by using magic to transport them do you does that make them less fulfilling no i think that's only if you're creating it or duplicating it like you're splitting the atoms basically okay if if you take um if you take a piece of chicken and you duplicate it with magic you're leaving the same amount of space but taking half of what that chicken is and putting it somewhere else. That's why it's less fulfilling. So it's like chicken, but every other molecule is air. Oh, okay. I got you. I I got it. Like a bag of chips. Like half of the bag bag is air. From the grocery store right now. And the other half is actual chips. Is that how they're making all their money? They're duplicating (laughs) the chips with magic. I wouldn't be surprised. They, they at this do point. make full bags of chips, but they're going to duplicate it. So half goes in one and half goes in the other. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Well, no, uh, just like transporting it up a floor, that's just you're taking one thing and putting it somewhere else, not that's splitting fair. it up. So, uh, while uh, wizards and witches could fly through the air with bewitched objects such as broomsticks, is long believed that true, unsupported flight was impossibility. Uncontrolled levitation of a person could be achieved mostly by charming the clothes they were wearing, but couldn't move freely in midair. So that is interesting. I did... So you have to use a broom to fly. Other than that, you can't fly. 
Unless you're an anime guy. Oh, yeah. Unless you're, like, an, and we're about that, to go into... Who can go, yeah, who can transform into a flying animal. Anime so. guy uh, who forms took into flying creatures such a enjoy the sensation of flight. But anime guy by themselves were quite rare, rare let alone those in the forms they'd taken flight. Thus, true flight was long accepted beyond the wizarding world's reach. However, Lord Voldemort, one of the most powerful dark wizards of all time, pushed beyond the boundaries of no magic and discovered a method of flying through the air, unaided with full control. That is true. That's like all the Death Eaters can like mainly, not all the Death Eaters, but like can, they can be summoned through magic and like somewhat fly and then Voldemort himself can just straight up fly. I forgot about it's that. It's terrifying. <laughs> Not only is he super powerful and basically unstoppable. He can fly. He can fly. <laughs> and then, uh, while a living wizard might protect themselves from fire with a basic flame freezing charm, no spell has yet been found to render dead flesh impervious to burning. Huh. Did not know that. that that's interesting. And then, in addition, in the story of the warlock's hairy heart, the main character removed his heart via dark magic in order to prevent himself from falling in love, while preserving both its and his own life. Such a form of magic was considered impossible outside of the storybook. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take my heart out either anyway, though. Like, that, that just sounds terrible. Sounds pain painful. Oh, yeah. Uh, even with magic. But with that, I say we should take our mid-break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome to the mid-break of the show where we go over everything with the podcast that has nothing to do with the lore of Harry Potter. Um... At this time, we want to thank everybody who is rating us on Spotify. And if you want to leave more ratings, feel free to leave a rating on Spotify. And if you want to review our show on Apple Podcasts and rate it as well, we will read all five-star reviews on the podcast, shout-outs, and all that fun stuff. Um, we do have a Twitter, Instagram, and a Facebook page now, which is awesome. Uh, Twitter, it's wwlorca at wwlorecast. Uh, Instagram is Wizarding World LC. Wizarding World LC, and then Facebook's just Wizarding World Lorecast. I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep, so, so we are active on all platforms now. <laughs> woo! So go like, follow, uh, get updates for the show and everything. And then, um, if you want to follow more of me or even Shanko, I am on, uh, I am one of the hosts for Holocron Histories, where we go over all of the Star Wars lore between canon and legends. And Shanko? Yeah, I'm one half of the MCU lore cast. I do that show with Psych88, 
and talk about the stories, history, comic book connections, representations of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if you like Marvel comics and the Marvel movies, come check out that show. Yes. And I'm assuming you guys will probably go over the awesome news that was just announced yesterday. We definitely have a lot of stuff to cover. <laughs> we, uh, we are nowhere. We've just scratched the surface and we've been at this for a couple of months now. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot to talk about. That's but what I feel about show, Star Wars. Those shows come out on that show comes out on Mondays. Mm-hmm. And uh, Holocron Histories will be every Thursday. As for this show, it's every Friday. And then we've got a show every day of the week, just about. Yes, it's awesome. And then also, uh, you can also find us on the Robots Radio Discord, where we have our own channel for Wizarding World, MCU, and Holocron Histories on there. Um, so you can chat with us on there, ask questions, give suggestions for like topics you want us to go over, or if you just want to nerd out, we will be there. Anything to add, Shinko? I think that's it. Cool. Well, let's get back into the magic. All right, now that we're back, we're going to go over the magical relations. So a witch or wizard's emotional state could affect their inherent abilities. For instance, an agent of the of Secrecy Tax Force uh, is said to have ability to produce better results with their inner in charm. After they channel the goodwill they received from innkeepers, they met on their travels into their spellcasting. And the Garleth Greengrass, a senior researcher of the Department of uh, Mysteries, at one point documented over 700 instances of spells being cast in anger and found they were more powerful than the casters themselves had thought themselves capable of producing. So, your emotional state will affect your spells. I could definitely see that happening, because your emotions are basically just types of energy. Mm-hmm. And magic is an expression of that energy. Uh, and I can, uh, I definitely know that um, when I'm angry, <laughs> I can throw a punch a whole uh, whole lot more powerfully. So I can only imagine if that was aided by magic, what I could do. Right. Oh, I don't even want to know. <laughs> so, it's like killing curses. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> On the flip side, however, uh, Nymphadora Tonks temporarily lost her powers as a uh, metamorphagus after suffering severe emotional turmoil and sadness over her grief for the death of Sirius Black. And when Remus Lupin would not return her affections to the point of going on a lethal mission to avoid contact, and in an effort, the form of her patronus changed to a wolf, which mas- matched the form of his to reflect her love for Lupin. So that is from the book, uh, Order of the Phoenix. No, Deathly Hollows, I think, or before it might be. Maybe it's in the books. Might be a side thing on uh, Wizarding World. But uh, another good example of the Patronus like changing shape is Snape. His Patronus is a doe, which in fact was Lily Potter's. Patronus, who's the woman he loved. 
Poor Snape. I know. I feel so bad for him. He's such, like, throughout the stories and the books and the films, like, oh, this guy's an a-hole. And then you get to, like, Deathly Hollows, and I was like, oh, God, I feel so bad for him. It's like, I'm so sorry that I thought so badly of you. <laughs> right. Even, I guarantee you that went through Harry's head the entire time when he was seen through his memories. Like, I've hated this man for no apparent reason. It's like, he's just been trying to He's help. actually been secretly protecting me this entire time. And he couldn't say anything, because mm -hmm. then they would have known that he was being protected, and he couldn't have done it anymore. Yep. We stand for Snape in this house. Because <laughs> he's a fellow Slytherin. That, and he's just, you know, I like characters with a redemption arc. Yeah. And sadly, his uh, redemption came after his death. Yeah. Uh, and I think Alan Rickman did a great job portraying oh, that in the, in the films, too. Phenomenal job. But uh, similarly, the magical abilities of Merup Gaunt uh, was greatly hammered, ham hampered by... And only flourish once when she was freed from her father's oppression. Albus Dumbledore also noted it was possible for a witch or wizard to be sapped of their magical power altogether if undergoing profound levels of despair. Huh. You can so use magic, your magic. Magic only works when you're on your mojo. And then uh, wizard kind were also weakened in the presence of Dementors pro for prolonged uh, periods. As such, as said creatures attack their prey physiologically by making them recall their worst memories in turn left the victims physically vulnerable. De Dementors suck the happiness out of anyone in their presence, making it hard to perform magic as casting spells required a certain level of emotional stability. This was one of the reasons the Patronus Charm was considered such advanced magic. Which we do actually see in the films. Like, everybody, like, when a Dementor is in, pre like, in your, like, general area, you could physically feel them. Even though they're not, like, next to you. Because of them hampering your powers. Mm -hmm. It's like all of a sudden there's just a siphon off of your energy. Mm-hmm. My, um, this is a funny side note about Dementors specifically, but when I went to the Wizarding World or the Harry Potter World at Universal Studios, because um, I'm in Florida, I went with my mom for Mother's Day. Shout out, mom. We had a great time, but we did the Forbidden Journey ride in the castle and we get around that one curve where the Dementors are coming out of the walls. And my mom is terrified of dementors and her arm just like comes across my body like pushing me back into the chair and trying to reach for my hand and she's going oh my god they're so scary <laughs> so uh yeah that was uh that was great my mom is terrified of dementors and as you should be because if they were real they would be terrified yikes uh, yeah, I could not blame her if they were real. They're they're absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then several spells involved the use of emotion when casting them. The Patronus Charm required the caster to concentrate on a happy memory. Force of will under extenuating circumstances also helped the casting of spells and affected the force with 
which they were cast. An example of this was when Harry was able to conjure a corporeal Patronus when Sirius Black was in danger of being administered the Dementor's Kiss. Another example of magic and emotions was when Ron Weasley caused it to snow above him with his wand when he felt guilt over breaking up with Landover Brown without using any worded spells. And then many other examples of emotional emotion influence magic included Albus Dumbledore, uh, or sorry, not Albus, Arena Dumbledore, Dumbledore's sister, being emotionally scarred at a young age, and then her magic turned volatile and uncontrolled. In addition, Harry magically inflated his aunt, aunt Marge, wandlessly and non-verbally, out of sheer anger when she disrespected his, his parents by calling his father a drunk. Hmm. Yeah. Emotions. The magic knew what he wanted. It's fine. Meh. And now we go into specifically love for magic. Arguably the most powerful branch of magic uh, was also the most mysterious and elusive love. Lord Voldemort, uh, having experienced love, never love himself, or having never experienced love himself, underestimated its influence uh, to his uh, detriment. It was through the love of Lily Evans, or Lily Potter, was able to save his, uh, save her son Harry from the death of from death by sacrificing her life so he might live. Uh, because of his mother's protection, Harry was able be unable to be touched by Voldemort. Voldemort attempted to overcome the obstacle by using Harry's blood in their, his resurrection. However, since Lily's magical protection was in, in Harry's blood, and his blood now flow, flowed through Voldemort. It's a new body. Uh, this actually meant that Harry could not be killed by Voldemort while Voldemort himself was still alive. So, oh, okay. So that puts more insight on how he did not die at uh, during Deathly Hollows. Not only was he a Horcrux for Voldemort, but he physically couldn't also be killed because of the magic that his mom sacrificed herself for him magic loopholes yes so harry used this very uh used very much the same mechanism of sacrificial protection to negate the powers of lord of Voldemort spells against the students the teachers of hogwarts during the battle of hogwarts the exact nature of how love magic works is unknown it was studied in depth in the department of Mys- mysteries where they had a giant cauldron of Amortelia? Telina? Ah, blood potion. Uh, it is also implied that the ability of, uh, to love was what made Voldemort as evil as he was. Severus Snape, who voluntarily joined the Death Eaters on leaving Hogwarts, turned spy before the Order of the Phoenix when he realized the woman he loved was being threatened by Voldemort. And then, similarly, um, Narcissa Malfoy's love for her son Draco eventually led her to betray Voldemort, directly leading to Harry's survival. Another oversight on Voldemort's part with these examples is hinted that anybody with the ability to love couldn't go as far down the path of evil as Voldemort has done, and it's his complete lack of compassion that made him capable of what he did. 
Since why Gwendolwald, yes, he was a dark he was a dark wizard and a powerful dark wizard as that, but Voldemort was so much stronger but because Gwendolwald actually felt and loved for someone. AKA Albus Dumbledore. So the um, you have to abandon your more positive emotions if you want to become a powerful dark lord. Honestly, you have to abandon your entire humanity at that point and morals. Mm-hmm. Anything moral in all your humanity, yeah, you'll then you'll become Voldemort. Till then, I don't think we'll ever see another dark wizard like him. So now we go to death. So we go from love, and now we go to death. <laughs> As affections of magic. Um, the phenomenon of death was studied in detail in an in-room called the Death Chamber of the Department of Mysteries, containing the enigmatic veil. Sirius Black fell through the veil after he was hit by a spell by from Bellatrix Lestrange and died. Though then again, the spell she'd cast on him was literally the killing curse. Yeah, it's a 50-50 going... shot which one killed him. Right, like... I, don't, I can't remember in the book if the book she used a different spell, but at least in the film, it's straight up the killing curse, so we know he will, he was going to die. Uh, there were a few magical techniques that had been used to extend life. The Philosopher's Stone could be used to prepare a potion that postponed death for the rest of eternity as long as the potion was drunk on a regular basis. Voldemort had availed himself of other methods, being one of the few wizards ever to use a horcruxes in his long-sought attempt to conquer death, and was believed that he was that uh, the only one who was able to use horcru- multiple horcruxes. Um... And then legend held that if one of the possessed the three Deathly Hollows, those tools would enable the possessor to become the Master of Death. However, being a true Master of Death meant being willing to accept that death was inevitable. In addition, the drinking of unicorn blood would keep one keep a person alive even if death was imminent, but at a terrible price of being cursed forever. These unicorns are just, they're kind of seen in across mythology, not just in the Harry Potter universe as the ultimate form of purity. Mm-hmm. And Correct. to kill a unicorn is to sacrifice purity. Correct. Literally. Mm-hmm. And then uh, being magical could contribute to one's longevity, as there were sev- several people who were quite long-lived, such as Albus Dumbledore, Bethinda, Bagshot, and... Grishelda Marchbanks, who was an uh, inveligator against Albus Dumbledore's owl exams. Interesting. Um, this could mainly be attributed to the speed and effectiveness of magical healing, such as potions that cure many sicknesses, including the ailments, including the common cold, spells for incanta- uh, instantaneous scarless healing, and transportation to hospitals being a matter of a few seconds in a side along Opuator or handful of flu powder. So, typically, not always, typically, if you're a witch or a wizard, typically you're going to have a longer lifespan than most humans. Just because of the what you have access to. 
easy, accessible health care. Right. And in most cases, possibly free because of magic. <laughs> Only if we had that. <laughs> um, it was also revealed by Nearly Headless Neck in 1995 that all witches and wizards had the choice of becoming ghosts when they passed away. The alternative was passing on. Nick had said he became a ghost because he was foolish, afraid of death. Oh, that's it. Uh, he was foolish and he was afraid of death. So Nick became a ghost. So so he didn't truly die. But that's he's not, still that, here. He's still here. <laughs> that's interesting. So apparently, anybody when someone dies, they have the ability to become a ghost if they choose to. Mm. But most people don't because they don't want to just. They don't want to live forever or, you know, yeah. like we talked about earlier. And you don't want to exist forever. <laughs> you don't want to exist forever and see the passing time and not enjoy the passing time. Unless it's during wartime. That's a completely different story. <clears throat> Battle of Hogwarts, for a good example. Um, and then all Hogwarts headmasters appeared in the portraits when they die, allowing consultation by future generations Dumbledore said that there was no spell that could truly be bring the dead back to life however several cases of dead people becoming half alive were known because of a connection between Harry and Voldemort's wands the Praetorum Incantatum images of Voldemort's recent victims appear and helped Harry escape during the duel in 1995 and then according to Harry they seemed too solid to be ghosts while Wizards could linger on as ghosts or imminent dead bodies as the inferior or charmed skeletons. No magic was com capable of bringing the dead person back to life, back to full and true life. The closest possibility was via the resurrection stone. But that is all we got on the nature of magic. And then next week we go deeper into specifically the types and diff uh, the types of magic. So, lots That'll of fun. That'll definitely be an interesting topic to go over. Oh yeah. So we'll we'll go over all the different types, um, besides the ones that we see in the films. So super exciting for that. I think the main difference between at least for me, the books and the films, is that the books have this absolutely rich environment that they're in. And I'm not saying that the movies don't capture that in a way, but the books definitely go more in depth about even just the scenery, not even so much the magic. You Correct. Know, there's a whole extended universe mm -hmm. within those books that's right there when you're reading the book that we mm -hmm. just don't get in well, the movies. And it's hard to bring something like that to film. That and like you only have so much time to mm -hmm. tell a story in a film than you do in a book. A book you can have five, eight hundred, a thousand pages in a book and read that over how many hours you need. Where films mm -hmm. are typically going to be one and a half to two and a half hours at most. Sometimes mm -hmm. three, but with the Harry Potter Harry Potter films, they're typically a little more than two two and a half hours. Typically, um, for like for Half Blood Prince, uh, there's a lot more in depth like with classes in Half Blood Prince in the book than it is in the film. Like um, Harry and Ron actually go to divination, and Trovis the centaur is the professor. 
The centaur that saves Harry in the Forbidden Forest and Sorcerer's Stone. That centaur becomes a professor at Hogwarts during his sixth cool. year. And, go, and he goes specifically, or not divination, it's astrology. Mm. Because centaurs are heavily focused astrology creatures. They specifically look at the stars for all their stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there's a lot more they enrich and like fill out in the books than we do get in the films. And it's just those little like nuggets of lore, like where a minor somewhat what would have been a minor kind of throwaway character in the movie actually has a life and a goal and a and a um a place within the universe that's maybe brought back up later in the books like you said with even with the centaur who mm-hmm. became a professor um which i always i always like to see where characters were going to pop back up right right because <clears throat> unless they died Usually with the Harry Potter books, the characters would come back in some way or another, even mm-hmm. just as a mention. So, Yep, just a mention or like a split cameo or they die. <laughs> Deathly Hallows, there's a lot of characters that came back, but and they died. Then, yeah. But uh, that's what I got this week. Do you have anything to add, Chanko? I think that's it till next week because we still have a lot of topics to cover. God, there's so much. We're going to go more, one more episode, at least one more episode in the magic, and then probably going to start one lore after that. And who knows where we'll go from there. Um, possibly the different schools and Hogwarts will have multiple episodes on its own because there's just so much info in Hogwarts alone. Mm-hmm. Um, or we can just go into the specific, like, founding fathers or founding founding members of hogwarts can't say fathers because there's two there's two uh two men and two two women that founded hogwarts absolutely and if anyone wants to chat with us on the discord about possible future topics too we're always open to hearing it we want to know what you guys want to hear about yeah Always having fun to talk to everybody about Harry Potter. It's great. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will see you, everybody, next week. Bye, everyone. And remember, the wand chooses the witch or wizard. Thank you for listening to Wizarding World Warcast. You can find us on the Robots Radio Discord at robotsradio.net. You can follow us on Twitter at www.lorecast, and you can email us at wizardworldlorecast at gmail.com. And if you want to find more of us, you can follow me on the Holocron Histories podcast with my co-host Teacup, to where we take a deep dive into the Star Wars lore. Or you can follow Captain Shanko with Psych88 on the MCU Lorecast, where they take a deep dive into all things Marvel.